Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. How do we tell these stories to keep our audience engaged? The secret to that is, and where I see most speakers get this wrong, is when we're speaking from an ego-driven standpoint, it's very easy for us to want to be the heroes of our own story. Hmm. I'm the hero! I slayed the dragon! Nobody cares. (laughs) Because everybody in the audience is the hero of their own story. So if you want to tell the story effectively and have your audience lean in and be engaged, it's really important to remember you're not the hero. Hmm. You're the sage. You're the mentor. And I want to now give you this gift of my knowledge so that you, the hero, can overcome your nemesis, whatever it is. And that's how you're going to get your audience to lean in to really be interested because you're giving them that information so that they can continue to be the hero, that they can fight the good fight and get to the next level. And that's the key to a really effective story. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. I'm really excited to have on the Innova Buzz podcast today as my guest, Sean Tyler Foley. He's an accomplished film and stage performer who has been acting in film and television since he was six years old. He's a veteran podcast guest with over 300 appearances on podcasts, with topics ranging from leadership to safety to overcoming adversity. He's also the author of the number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked, and the managing director of Total Buy-In, where he works with executives and CEOs, helping them show up powerfully behind the microphone to gain the exposure they need. Are you curious about what really goes on behind the scenes of the Innova Buzz show? Then you're in luck. Head on over to innovabiz.co forward slash flywheel and grab our exclusive digital token, your key to the Flywheel Nation community. As a member, you'll have an all-access pass to our incredible podcast guests, just like Tyler, as well as to me, of course. Plus, you'll get to enjoy a short audio program that takes you through the entire InnovaBuzz podcasting process. We're dedicated to giving you everything you need to transform your marketing and podcast into an engine for human-centered, relationship-focused growth. So what are you waiting for? Let's take your journey to the next level. In our conversation today, Tyler talked to me about the importance of reframing our approach to public speaking 
to focus on what we can give the audience rather than worrying about how we will be perceived. We talked about how the audience is really on our side as they're there to learn from us and they're expecting us to do well. And Tyler explained how to identify stories that we can use to tell and how to tell them in an engaging way. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Tyler Foley. Hi, I'm your host Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today all the way from Calgary, Alberta in Canada, although he might be somewhere else at the moment. We'll check that in a moment. Tyler Foley, who is a safety consultant, a speaker and author of The Power to Speak Naked. Welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast, Tyler. It's a real privilege to have you as my guest. Oh, it's my, my joy, Jürgen. I've been actually, I've been looking forward to this for a while because you are a very popular man <laughs> and it is hard to get on your show. So you've been circled on my calendar for a little bit. And yes, I am not currently in Calgary, although I'm still in Alberta. I'm about uh, three hours east of the city uh, for work. So thank you for <laughs> taking the time to Excellent. allow yeah. me onto the show. And I understand I was talking to somebody from that area this morning earlier that um, it's quite snowy and cold there. So I guess you're probably finding it hard to get out and about. Uh, yeah, well, the the roads are at least dry, but yes, it is it is quite cold. I had to get out of my vehicle um, first thing in the morning, and it was uh, it was I, the thermometer said it was minus twenty, but uh, wow. it was closer to minus thirty with the wind chill. So yeah, yeah, that is cold. <laughs> That's really cold. Yeah. That's centigrade for anybody listening from the US or or the UK. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right, now you help speakers find their voice and get on stages to share their message. And one of the things you do quite a bit is get on podcasts to share your message as well. And one of the key messages is the um, power to speak and, and get on stages and spread your message. So I'm really looking forward to digging into all of that. Now, before we do that, what's the impact you're making in the world today, Tyler? Well, I'd like to think I'm helping people share their stories, both as a safety consultant so that, you know, I, I built my company total buy-in around the idea that stories are what bring us together. And uh, I, I know from my own personal experience in safety that it, it's when people come out and they share why safety is important to them or, or something that's happened to them that they can have real impact. And I've taken that messaging and kind of broadened it to help anyone, uh, first of all, discover that they have a story, because I think that everybody has a story to tell and you have no idea who needs to hear it until you start speaking it. And then helping them tell it effectively and find those platforms so that they can find their audience. So that's, I feel how I'm making the most impact in the world yeah. right now. Yeah, well, there's a lot to explore there. I mean, you talked about finding the platform, finding the audience, uh, identifying the message. And often we take things for granted in our life, um, something that's happened to us or an experience that we've had, and we take it for granted. And when we talk, start talking about it, other people kind of get blown away and say, wow, that's uh, thank you for sharing that. That's such a precious gift. And we don't tr ourselves treat it like that, do we? Well, and I think it's 
a symptom of complacency. You know, we are living our life and because it's, you know, compounded over years and years and years and years, you don't see the incremental change often in what you've done or how you're doing or, or how you've grown or where you've gotten to. But when you condense it down into that reader's digest or the little bullet points and somebody reads out your bio and you're like, wow, I've done some really cool things. You know, I've, I've been on over 350 podcasts in the last year, 400 in the last 18 months. And everyone, every time a host will read my bio, I go, huh, that's not too shabby. Good job, Mr. Foley. You're doing okay. Huh. Yes, I, I've had that experience as well where uh, uh, somebody's read out my bio on a podcast and I think, oh, that sounds pretty good. And I've, yep. I've even made the comment, oh, you make me sound really good. <laughs> yeah, now I, now I have to live up to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, one of the things I wanted to explore with you, and, and I guess this comes out of the book, um, The Power to to Speak Naked, and, and that's, I mean, just for people that, might not be familiar with that book. It's kind of a metaphor. It's kind of like getting up on stage and being yourself and being authentic and having the courage to kind of share openly whatever's going on, right? Um, what I wanted to explore with you, because a lot of people say, well, you know, one, the thing we're most afraid of, even more than death, is is public speaking. And yet you said on a podcast that I listened to, it's not the... It's not public speaking we're afraid of. It's it's public embarrassment. And it occurred to me that it may even be a step worse than that. It's almost like public shame. So if we're embarrassed in public or ashamed of that. Um, so talk to us a little bit more about that differentiation and how we can perhaps turn that around so that we say, well, who cares whether we embarrass ourselves? Because embarrassing yourself in public is not really a big deal depending on what it is and and yet we kind of make it a big deal don't we yeah well and and really what it is it's a fear of public judgment so whether uh you feel embarrassed or you feel ashamed or you uh feel attacked whatever kind of um descriptor you want to put with that it's really it's about uh public judgment so i'm going to say a statement and now it's out in the world for somebody to hear and uh, I don't know how it's going to be perceived. And so to avoid any of the negative perceptions that may come from it, I'm just not going to speak at all. And that's why I often say that, as you had heard, we're not afraid of public speaking. It's the public judgment that we're afraid of. And you've probably heard me say, you know, the proof of this is if we really truly were afraid of public speaking or, or using our voice in public, uh, commerce as we know it would collapse. You know, if anybody's ever been to a restaurant and ordered food, you've yeah. spoken in spoken. public. Yeah, yeah. The difference is, right, people aren't looking at you, so you're not being judged for ordering your pancakes mm. at Denny's. But if you have an audience where people are looking at you, uh, there's this fear that, again, what we say will be misunderstood or perceived incorrectly. And so it's just it's safer to just not speak. And I would challenge that to say that most people are on your side as a speaker because 
most people, as you pointed out, are terrified to do it. So they want that person on stage to succeed. They want them uh, to enlighten them because A, then they don't have to be the one speaking. And so they're off the hook. But B, we, we don't show up to events or presentations or even entertainment hoping that it's going to be awful. Yeah, we go right. with this ex expectation that yeah. it's going to be good. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, even right now, nobody sat down to our conversation. Nobody started listening or watching this and think to themselves, man, I hope whoever Jurgen brings on today is going to be awful. I hope it's, I hope I get no value out of this. I hope this person actually sucks really bad, right? Like they didn't, they didn't think that. No. They, they, or they wouldn't have, they just simply wouldn't have tuned in. Yeah. So the audience is on your side and this, this notion of, of judgment or this negative perception that you're going to receive just simply isn't the case. Hmm. As long as you do the thing that you were supposed to do, and that is leave your audience better than you found them. And, and that can be, leaving them with one takeaway or providing them with a tool or a resource that improves them. And it's just, it just needs to be one thing and it just needs to be one audience member. You don't need to change the whole room. Hmm. As long as one person walked away slightly better than you left them, you've done your job. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. One of the things that um, I'd add to what you said there in terms of people don't want you to fail is that when we get on stage to present, um, we're the ones that, like, I'm the one that thinks the most about how am I going to appear. Nobody else is really care cares about that. They're, they're not giving that any thought at all. Um, they're just thinking, what am I going to get out of this presentation? So yeah. if I can if I can reframe my approach, not oh, I wonder what they're going to think of me, to what am I going to give the audience? Yes. And then yeah, and, and have the confidence also. I, I tell a lot of people, um, one of the things I come down really hard on feedback when I'm um, giving feedback to people who present uh, is when they start off with, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't rehearsed this enough or I'm sorry, I'm really nervous. And I yeah. say, do not start with an apology. Never apologize for getting up on stage because what you're about to do is give a gift to your audience and you don't have to apologize for that. No. And if you have been asked to present, or even if you have decided that you're going to present, uh, you are the expert that people have come because nobody else knew more about that particular subject for that particular group than you did. Even if there's other people who have done it bigger, faster, stronger, brighter, taller, longer, you, you are that person who was asked because we don't ask second best. We ask the, the best. So you were the best in your company. You were the best in your town. You were the best in your city, province, country, state, you know, and if you have that audience, that platform, you were the expert that was asked for a reason. So you got to embrace that. And as you said, don't apologize, uh, because really, honestly, speaking from your heart is probably one of the best things that you can do. And I think most people, when they get nervous, it's because they're, um, it's particularly when they say that statement, um, I didn't practice enough or I, you know, don't know this thing. It's because they spent too much time trying to memorize something that wasn't going to be helpful for their audience. Hmm. And that is they were trying to memorize a script. 
Yeah. Like you and I are having a conversation right now. I didn't take two, three, four days or weeks or months memorizing what you and I were going to talk about. I am an expert in public speaking. I have a background in performing arts for the last 36 years. I've been on stage most of my life. Six years old was the first time I was in front of an audience. I've written two best-selling books now, right? So, and you don't, so I don't need to study my material. I know my material. And I acknowledge that there are people who know more about the industry than I do. But that's not the people that need to hear my message. Hmm. You know, seasoned vets of public speaking probably listen to me and go, oh, yeah, I know I know that. Every yeah. once in a while, they glean something new or interesting. But, you know, for the most part, they know. I'm really good friends with uh, Bob Cattell. Uh, me and him do a lot of events together. He's the memory guy. Really, really good speaker. In my opinion, one of the most underrated public speakers in, in our industry right now. And we were sitting backstage at an event in May and he picked up a copy of my book and started thumbing through it. And he reads really fast. He's, he, he's a really, really, uh, spe he's got speed reading down to a thing and he gets to one of the chapters. He goes, Oh, that's interesting. I never thought of that before. <laughs> you know, this is, a, this is a man who I study and, yeah, yeah. and try to learn from. And he's like, yeah, well, that's a good point. You know, so you never know what, insight that you will have, or maybe you word something differently. So if you've been asked to present, you are the expert and just you've got to embrace that. Hmm. And also take the opportunity to be in the spotlight and, and celebrate that, allow yourself to celebrate that. Because coming back to this idea of starting off with the apology, because I also tell people what you're saying to yourself, the self-talk, in that is this is not going to be good enough and yes and you'd alluded to a really good point too like you are providing your audience with a gift hmm. and when we're doing that negative self-talk that's uh very ego driven and it's very centric to the self right what if i do this or what if i don't do that or what if they think right where if you look at your audience first of all as a gift to you because they are, yeah. right? They're there to learn from you. You could be speaking to empty chairs and that sucks. So if you have people to present to, even if it's just two, you've got a good audience, right? But further to that, if you focus on how do I serve them, it's really, you can't, you got to focus on one thing or the other. So you can either be self-centered and focused in inward on you which is very ego driven, or you can be a service mentality. How can I serve my audience? Mm. Because they are here to be left better than they found than I found them. And if you can do that, if you can find a way to tune into what their needs are, it, it's really hard to concentrate and be nervous and think about all of the me, 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 what if, what ifs, mm. if all you're th focused on is how do I leave this audience better than I found them? Yeah, that's a really a really important point and I'd, I'd like to explore that a little bit more because one i mean obviously if you're going in to give a speech somewhere it's it's good to know who's the audience going to be what are they what do they need what what are their interests and so on and and tailor your presentation to meet that but in terms of then being up on stage how do you kind of release all that self-focus 
enough to observe the audience in a way that you can see, okay, that joke didn't resonate. I mean, that's the <laughs> obvious one, you know, if you're a comedian <laughs> yeah. and you crack a joke yeah. and you don't get the response, nobody laughs at the joke. So, okay, they didn't like that sort of joke. So you adapt. Now, how do you do that yeah. throughout the whole speech in terms of, okay, I'm going to tell a story that that's supposed to um, really get everybody emotional because it's an impactful story. And how do we, how do you be so aware that you can observe, is it having the impact that I want or do I adapt my presentation? Well, I think the first thing to recognize is, and Les Brown says it better than I, so let's quote Les, uh, you never tell a story without a point and you never make a point without a story. So when we're telling the stories, we need to know why we're telling that story. And we need to know who our audience is so that we know how to tell that story effectively for that audience, because your audience will change. Hmm. You know, um, if I, for example, for me, when I'm presenting uh, safety talks, my audience is typically uh, very blue collar, you know, um, workers, um, they're usually rough and tough, tired of safety, don't like safety guys, because um, safety guys just get in the way and make things slow and make them have to do more paperwork than necessary. And, you know, so I, you know, I know who my audience is there. When I'm presenting keynotes, I'm typically presenting to C-level suites who want to know more about safety, how to engage somebody who feels the way that I just explained. Hmm. So I will tell the same story to both audiences, but I will change my language and how I do it because the language will inform how somebody perceives that story that I'm telling. And oftentimes the story, the reason I'm telling the story is different. So for the C-suite, uh, I'm trying to exemplify behaviors that need to be done where for the blue collar guys, I'm trying to entertain them and get them to see me in a different light and not just as a safety professional. It's still the same story. Hmm. Being on a film set, jumping six stories out of windows, being the safest job that I ever had, hmm. you know, and it, it's it. But how I tell it is different. And my point for telling it is different, yeah. right? My point for the C-suite is information. The point for the blue collar is entertainment and uh, camaraderie and uh, a showing of, of like and kinship. So being able to really hone in on who your audience is and why your audience is there, what the expectation is of you, and then how to bring that forward, that's going to be the real key to the, at least um, keeping them entertained and, and or at least keeping their uh, attention anyways. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. So with, with a story like that, I mean, that's a great example where you've got the same story um, but different reasons and a different emphasis and different way to present it to those different audiences because there's a, a different effect that you're after how do we um how do we first of all identify a story that's going to be a, a good metaphor for the message that we want to give how do we then uh, build it in a way that's first of all it's compelling entertaining and and at the same time teaches the lesson that we want to convey well so the the first 
part because there, there's a lot to unpack with that. So let's <laughs> jump into that. Um, the first one, how do we identify our stories? The stories can change and can evolve. Sometimes you'll be asked a question on the fly where you're like, oh, I, I know this thing. It's not a rehearsed one, but I know this thing and it relates. Let's tell that story. Again, it's really important to know why I'm telling that story. So you have to be very clear. Somebody asked this. It reminded me of this situation that I have been through. It relates to this because and bring it full circle. So you tell your story. Oh, I heard that. Well, this is something that I experienced or this is one of these things that let me walk you through it. And so now you can see how that's an example of whatever you've just discussed. But if you want to have a mainstay, if you like for me, if you're going to be a presenter where you're going to have keynote presentations or you're going to start building a career as as a professional speaker. One of the tricks that I do with all of my clients, and this is something that anybody who's listening or watching right now, you can do it. It'll take two minutes. Grab hit pause right now. Go grab yourself a pen, paper, come back. You're going to now wait. You'll be fine. Hit pause. Now that you're back, you've got your pen and your paper. What I want you to do is I want you to take your age, however old you are, and round up or down to the nearest five. So for me, I'm 43 years old. I'm going to round up to 45. Last year when I was 42, I was going to round down to 40. So now that I'm 45 years old, I'm going to take that and divide by five. So whatever number you rounded up or down to your nearest five, take that number and divide by five. Whatever number you have now, those are the increments or time periods that you're going to have. So we've just divided your life into five equal time periods. When I do this, 43 rounds up to 45, 45 divided by five is nine. So I'm going to look at nine year increments within my life. So my first time period, zero to nine years old. Now I'm going to ask myself, what is the most significant memory that I have from this time period? And I just want you to write it down. First thing that comes to mind, and it's important that it's the first thing that comes to mind because that's the one that is the most prevalent. That's mm -hmm. the one that has the most impact on you because obviously that's the one that comes first. You know, if I think back to uh, zero to nine, I instantly go to six-year-old Tyler. And the first memory that I have from six-year-old Tyler, the one that springs to mind every time I do this, is me on stage in my elementary school Christmas pageant playing Joseph as part of a nativity with my best friend Lisa who is playing Mary and the sound of laughter that I got when the three wise men came with their period appropriate wrapped gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh in like wrapping paper because obviously that's what would have happened and they gave me these presents and I being six years old in my bathrobe set them down on the manger where baby Jesus was lying right down on baby Jesus's head. <laughs> and the all three presents went right there, smothering poor baby Jesus. And everybody laughed, right? The whole audience just erupted. And I couldn't figure it out that, you know, the first one, there was kind of a little bit of a chuckle. <laughs> and then the second one, there was a bigger laugh. And when I put the third one, I remember watching my mom just roll over tears in her eyes, <laughs> crying. She was so happy. Just, you know, full belly laugh. And just that feeling, that exhilaration that came with it, that was so joyful for me. And seeing my mom and my dad 
um, just light up, like just the pride that was in in them and the feeling that came through the room too. Like it's hard to describe until you've actually been on stage and felt an audience laugh along with you. Mm. And, and then the feeling too, like just after that, we got a standing ovation. So everybody they're cheered and there's just this energy that runs through you when that happens. I, I'll never forget it. It's my, you know, it's one of my most distinct memories. So I want you to go through and just write down for each one of these time periods, what is your most significant memory? You know, for me, the next time period is uh, 10 to 19 and or 10 to 18. Either way, it's uh, I focus in on being 17 years old, waking up New Year's Day after being the DD for my friends, New Year's Eve, being up very late, getting everybody home safely, going to bed about 4.30 in the morning, waking up around 10, 30, 11 to the smell of bacon because my mom was cooking breakfast and trying to get up the stairs and having a real difficult time and then trying to brush my teeth and having no ability to keep the toothpaste in my mouth because I'd woken up and the left side of my body was paralyzed. Mm. And I, it, it really it took about a good 20 to 25 minutes for me to realize that things were not right. Even my mom, she was like, what's wrong with you? Are you drunk? I was like, no, I was the DT, Bob. I don't drink. <laughs> She's like, come on now. I'm like, no, really. But then, you know, she was really concerned. She could see it just in my response, the way that I was talking to her, that something was wrong. We ended up going to the hospital and I was paralyzed for over a year. Had to withdraw from my uh, the production that I was in. I didn't actually get to graduate from my fine arts high school because I couldn't do that production. I had to go and get my GED. A lot of these things, you know, I look back to that moment. So that that's a very impactful moment for me. We will all have these moments in our lives. So divide your life by five. Look at what the most significant memory from each time period is. And remember that it doesn't have to be this vivid pictured yeah. imagining. It could be a sound. It could be a smell. Could be a feeling. Could be a color. But know what the situation is around it. And that will give you at least five stories that you can tell. Now, the, the next step we can't do chatting here amongst you and me right now we can't we we're this is homework for our listeners so if you've done this exercise and you've broken your life into the five and you've got five memories that are for sure top of mind the next exploration is why why those memories why are they so significant to you what do they mean are they positive memories or are they negative memories or are they neither are they just memories um, can you see the positive and the negative of it? Uh, you know, can you explore both of those? And that's when those lessons start to come out. So why is it important to you? And then the next exploration after you've explored that why is what are the lessons that I learned from that? What are the lessons that I needed to learn from that? What did I already know going into it? What did I take away from it? And now what can my audience learn? Yeah. from this story because again we're not telling the story without a point and we're not making a point without a story so the whole point of the stories including the ones that i just told is to educate your audience and to get them to see your thought pattern your process how you developed this way of thinking to then try to get them to adopt or adapt to that mm -hmm. and 
so that's where you, that, that exploration can take days, weeks, months, years. Hmm. I, I constantly am revisiting revisit, my stories. Yeah, yeah, I was just wondering. Say revisit often. Yeah. 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 And especially because, you know, as my audiences change and as my audience grows and as my audience um, adapts as well to my delivery, I need to change and I need to do a little bit more work into why is this important. And it's, it's it, honestly, it's a really fun exploration. And so that's how you find those stories so that you can tell those points. And those are the ones that you're going to rehearse. Those are the ones that you're going to know inside out. But you can do this on the fly. If you've done this enough, it becomes muscle memory. So if somebody asks you something that is not part of your prepped repertoire, you can still go, oh, well, you know what? This happened to me last week. I had this thing and this is what this is what I experienced. And you can still start to tell that Which, now. Yeah, that raises a, a, an interesting point, because basically what what you've just outlined there in those last few sentences is a conversation that we all probably have every single day where somebody will give you a prompt of some sort and and the response will be, oh, that reminds me of the time and mm -hmm. you start telling a story. Yes. And now that leads us to the second part of your question. And I realized that there were two questions. Go back, <laughs> listen, rewind. It was like eight minutes ago and then I went on a rant, but go rewind and then you'll know that there was a second question there and that was, now, how do we tell these stories to keep our audience engaged? Because hmm. it's one thing to identify it. It's another thing to know why we're going to tell it to them. It's another thing to tell it in a way that they go, oh, yeah. And the secret to that is, and where I see most speakers, both amateur and professionals, get this wrong, is we're... Again, when we're speaking from an ego-driven standpoint, it's very easy for us to want to be the heroes of our own story. Hmm. And if you break it down using the hero's journey model that Joseph Campbell put together, you know, you have a hero who is in a state of stasis or unaware until they are thrust into crisis by some catalyst event that then sends them on the journey where they initially meet a hero or they meet a mentor or a guide who then, or the sage, and the sage shows them uh, various lessons along the way so they can go through these trials and tribulations before they meet their final nemesis and overcome before they progress onto their journey home. And, you know, whether you're talking Star Wars or you're talking Harry Potter, or you're talking any hmm. modern or fabled classic, great down to Homer's Odyssey. Hmm. They, they all follow this same pattern. And where most people try, what most people try to do and where they fail in yeah, gathering their audience, the <laughs> they want to be the hero, yeah. right? I'm the hero, I defeated the, I slayed the dragon. And nobody cares. <laughs> what, because everybody in the audience is the hero of their own story. Yeah. So if you want to tell the story effectively and have your audience lean in and be engaged, it's really important to remember you're not the hero. Hmm. You're the sage. You're the mentor. You're Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know, you're Dumbledore. You are um, Gandalf. Hmm. And you are the one that is going to lead the hobbits along this journey so that they can finally get to Mordor and defeat Sauron or pick your... Pick your yep. nemesis, yep, right? right? Darth Vader, yeah. right? So you, 
you need to to take on that sage mentor guide. I have experienced this from my worldly ways, and I want to now give you this gift of my knowledge. I want to pass it along. Hmm. And so that you, the hero, can overcome your nemesis, whatever it is. And that's how you're going to get your audience to lean in to really be interested because you're giving them that information so that they can continue to be the hero, that they can fight the good fight and get to the to the next level. And that's the that's the key to a really effective story. Hmm. Love it. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of uh, the hero's journey, the Joseph Campbell work, and um, looked at a whole lot of um, unusual stories that don't. Well, not, not they're not unusual because they follow the hero's journey, but they're not ones that commonly are brought up in that conversation. And I love to analyze those because nobody else has done it. <laughs> Think, okay, yeah. who's, who's the mentor here and when do they, when do, they do the, the different steps of the hero's journey? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, this is absolutely fantastic. We could go on for ages here. I'm just sort of aware of my, my clock that's running here and has turned orange. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it's a good point to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round, the same five questions I ask of every guest. And it's the, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get some insightful answers that will inspire the audience, hopefully, to do some more awesome beyond what you've already shared with us. I, I'm looking. This was this is why it's circled on my calendar. This is why I was I've been ready ready for this. Excellent. All right. Let's what, do. What's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Uh, if from in my opinion, I think the number one thing people need to do to be more innovative is the same thing they need to do to be more comfortable speaking, and that is to just do and stop worrying about the judgment. <laughs> You know, I, I think every time, you know, I've, I've had different versions of this question. And by the way, I like your the way you ask it better. But I always think of Edison in the light bulb, right? I came up with a thousand ways mm. to not make a light bulb. Yeah. The, you know, that rapid, I, you know, I remember being at uh, Date with Destiny with Tony Robbins and hearing him talk about rapid failure. And I was like, yes, you know, just just embrace it. The if you want to be innovative, you can, you cannot be afraid of failure and you can't be afraid of judgment. you got to just, you got to go knowing that everything is going to be a lesson. You're either going to get it right or you're going to figure out yeah. how to get it right by getting, by doing. Hmm. Hmm. That's, that's such a powerful um, bit of advice. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think of it sometimes as an experiment based on my scientific background. So you have a postulate, you run an experiment without expectation of what the outcome will be, although, although you know, you've postulated what you're expecting the outcome, but you're not wedded to that outcome. And if it doesn't turn out that way, well, then that's the result. You have a look at that result. What does that mean, this result that you've got? And, okay, what's the next yeah. postulate? What's the next experiment? Yeah, and I, you know, I learned that lesson early on, fourth grade. I w did, you know, science experiment, right? Yep. You go in and you do the, the uh, oh, I can't even remember what, the science fair. And a friend of mine, Jaron Jaren Alarca, his parents were lab technicians. And so we had access to all this really, really fancy lab equipment. And we were going to see what made nails rust. Yep. And we had like tap water, 
and distilled water and rainwater and I can't remember what other kind of water. And then we took all these different nails, galvanized and whatever. And we had this hypothesis. And I thought that the distilled water being pure would have the most effect on the rust. And the reality was there was the, the impure ones mm -hmm. that had all the, the various chemicals and everything that just degraded the nails. And uh, being like, huh, that was interesting. My hypothesis was wrong. But again, it didn't matter. There was no consequence to it, yeah, right? Yeah. Science fair, you're experimenting. We wrote the really pretty report and did it. And the funny thing is we actually came in second place in the science fair to a group of girls who did the exact same experiment, only they did it with two types of water and two types of nails instead of four types of water and four types of nails. And they didn't have the fancy science, the fancy, like we measured the weight of the rust, like down to the micrograms, how much did this rust produce? And they just looked at the nails and went, that one is rustier and that one is not. Yeah. And they, they won because it was simple. Yeah. Right? It was grade four, simple. We, we made it way too complex. Yeah. But again, there was no consequence to it. And so don't worry about the failure. Mm -hmm. Jump in. Learn. You will always learn. As long as you're learning, you haven't failed. It's Excellent. when you yeah. fail to learn that you failed. Hmm. Excellent. All right. Now, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? <laughs> uh, trusted uh, my gut, for one. Mm -hmm. And... I've never been afraid to be the stupidest person in the room. In fact, I've, I've embraced it often. And it, it's unbelievable to me when I surround myself with really smart people, how incredibly inspired you get watching them work. Hmm. One of the other reasons why I wanted to come on this show, because I, I, I've been listening to you for a little bit and I, I knew I was going to, I was going to learn something coming on the show, <laughs> being around Dr. Jurgen, you know? So that's, it's important to me to, um, surround myself with, and not just the, the people who are smarter than me, but people who have different opinions than me hmm. and without judgment. And it, and that's when the innovation comes because people will see different things, different ways. Yeah. And if you can start to learn to see the world the way somebody else does, it's amazing how just incredibly large this world becomes. Hmm. And and there is so much to learn, so much to do, so much that is possible. Uh, but it, it takes stepping outside of your your box and your own viewpoint. And so, yeah, I like to surround myself with people who are smarter than me, or at least who have a different opinion than me, and then explore it in a very, very childlike way. Mm -hmm. I love one of the greatest gifts that I got was having my daughter later in life. I was 35 when she was born. She's, you know, seven turning eight now. And... Um, to be able to re-explore the world through her eyes, what a gift. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that uh, discover, rediscovering that childlike curiosity, which it sounds like you've, you've got it, but um, we can certainly learn that from young kids. Mm -hmm. Refresh that, yeah. One of the, one of the things that um, from those two answers uh, I thought of as well, which I think is important to bear in mind, and that's the idea that what somebody else thinks of me is none of my business. So, and if you take that approach, it's kind of like removes the ego as well, doesn't it? And it applies to what we were talking yeah. about earlier. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it really, not only is it none of your business, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, that's right. You know, ultimately it, it, it's irrelevant to hmm. the equation. Uh, so I, yeah, no, I, I love to surround myself and just be curious. Hmm. All right. Do you have a favorite resource you use most often? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Right now, Podmatch yeah. is it, it, it's 
my go-to for finding amazing people to talk with and then finding an ability to serve an audience. You know, as a speaker, that's my, that's what I have to do. Hmm. I, I am, I am numb without an audience. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do if I don't have people to speak to? And so Podmatch has been my, um, my most trusted resource right now that it is of all of the tools that I have in my toolkit. Uh, it is the one that I'm using the most. I'm probably on Podmatch four to five times a day. Um, checking through 24 to 30 matches mm-hmm. a day, doing two to three shows a day. Like it is a, it is a full-time vocation for me right now. <laughs> and I just Sounds absolutely like a, love it. Well, I, I think you're the number one, um, what, what are they, what's the measure? The number one user or the number, number one, one? Yeah. Number one ranked guest on Podmatch and have been actually for the last 18 months. Now I'm not monthly i'm not number one right now but i have i'm the only guest on the podmatch platform that has been in the top 10 consistently for 18 months straight everybody else will pop up like um you know there's some really cool guys uh, there's a guy right now Vinny, who i believe is number one uh right now really really cool guests that have reached the number one spot i've actually coached four different people to the number one spot Mm-hmm. Um, and they've all, they've all gotten there. Uh, but I'm the only one who has consistently stayed in the top yeah. 10. Everybody gets there and then they drop out yeah. and they get there <laughs> and they drop out. I'm like the only one who's like, Alex and I are on a first name basis. Yeah. Now Alex is the the founder of it. Yep. And he's like, Tyler, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I'm just showing up, man. Yeah, so yeah. you got to slow down. <laughs> and of course, yeah. Check out Alex Sanfilippo's episode. I can't remember which episode it was off the top of my head, but, um, he was on the show a little while ago as well. Phenomenal human being. I absolutely love him. Yeah. All right. Um, so there's a, there's probably a whole episode we could do on just podcasting and being a guest on podcast and what we can learn from that. Um, but let's move on to the next question in the buzz. We've got a couple to go. What's the best way to keep a client on track when you're working with them? Uh, well, to keep... The, the best way to keep your client on track is to keep you on track. <laughs> I like to have accountabilities um, and milestones so that I know that I'm on track for what needs to be done, which means you're on track for what needs to be done. Hmm. So I think having that uh, conversation about what, what your design alliance looks like, what are those key deliverables and what are the milestones? How, how are we checking in so that we know uh, that we're actually reaching what we need to do? And so I, I like to establish those, um, you know, weigh-in points. And uh, and that, I find, keeps me on track. And if I'm on track, then I can keep my clients on track. Hmm. Excellent. I love it. Um, sort of look in the mirror first and um, do the work on yourself first. And then naturally the client will be in alignment with you, in rapport with you. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, and finally, what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? <laughs> be them, learn their story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you don't try to be somebody else. <laughs> and uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with replicating processes or duplicating things that you've seen uh, other successful mm. people work. If you want to do that, um, you know, why reinvent the wheel? Mm. But at the same time, you know, why do you buy Michelin? over Firestone or Goodyear, 
right? You need to be your own brand. Just because we're all tires doesn't mean that we have to be, you know, maybe you're a white wall. Hmm. Who knows? Right? Like, so you need to know what your story is. And that will help you, first of all, never mind trying to stand out and brand yourself or any of the rest of that. Uh, the key to being really confident in what you're doing and find that innovation is to to have that self-worth and that self-confidence. Yeah. So it, I think it's really important to know your story, know who you are, to be able to stand in your own power, your own skin, and just be confident being you. And if you can be confident being you going through the world, the rest of it, it, it just kind of falls into place. Mm. Yeah, so much gold in that answer. And uh, it's uh, it reminds me of a conversation I had this morning, actually the same conversation about the snow, but it was about personal branding and the danger of people pursuing personal branding because it comes back to what you were saying earlier that they're, they're trying to make themselves the hero in that personal mm -hmm. branding and, and um, yeah, to remove that and forget about being the hero is, is really important. And the other thing I what you said there, and I think this is really worth highlighting, that's modelling off other people, but in a way that you're not copying them and you're not trying to be them because you can't be them. Well, exactly that. You can only be you. Hmm. And, you know, I remember reading the 5am club and being like, oh, that, I, that seems interesting, but I've never been a 5am person. And I, you know, went and I was like, well, so what is the whole point of this, right? Now you have, it's the, you get up and you have the time to yourself to do the things that need to be done where it's just you time and you focus. And this person is doing it at five in the morning. Why? I can do that at two o'clock at night. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I, particularly being somebody who grew up in the fine arts and who grew up in the theater, my working hours started around five in the afternoon. Hmm. You know, it was it was very common for me to not get home or go to bed until two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. And that was early on. That was like six, seven, eight years old. Hmm. And then I would sleep until noon and then I would get along with my day. And even in my uh, late teens and early 20s, when I was working, I was doing uh, night shifts. So like I was often, you know, I would gravitate to those things. So that's just, that's how my biorhythms have adapted. And so that's how I've structured my day. You know, I stay up to put my, get my daughter to school and, you know, get her to the bus. And then I sleep. Yeah. I sleep because my daughter's in school, my wife's at work. That is, that is time where the house is the most quiet. And then I wake up and I pick up my daughter and I get food ready for my wife and us. And then me and my wife have, you know, get my daughter into the shower and into bed. And then we have our time together and then she goes to bed. And then I have all of this uninterrupted <laughs> yeah. time where the phone doesn't ring and I don't have to deal with people and I don't have to do the stuff and I can schedule in my podcast and I can have these great conversations. And then when this is done, I can focus and concentrate on the things that I need to get done. So I have a 5am club 
but 5 a.m. is when I'm wrapping up my day and going to bed. Yeah, yeah. So just adapt things to your own style and your own own needs, own lifestyle. Take what works for you yep. and slough the rest off. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, thanks, Tyler. This has been fabulous. Now, where can people find out more about you, about the work you're doing, get a hold of your book, and um, maybe you've even got something for us? Oh yeah, no, I've got, of course, I brought, I brought, I got good stuff for the Innova Buzz audience. But uh, I, again, want to thank you for having me on the show. And I think it's important that if your audience is coming back and they're listening to this regularly, before I give them free stuff, you've been giving them stuff for years. And that is the gift of, of having these experts come on to, to help augment your message, to help your audience grow. And if they're regularly tuning in, if they're listening to Innova, uh, you know, the Innova Buzz podcast and they're um, regularly getting value out of it, I would ask that they give you a gift of a five-star review. Say why they come back and they listen to the show. What What is their favorite episode? What was the best takeaway? What, uh, what was their favorite answers in, in the five questions? You know, what what is really something that they they've, they've enjoyed with it. And if they can do that for you as a thank you from me, because that's helping everybody that's helping them get better content because now you'll know what they like and you can tailor the show to, right. to help that yeah. that's helping you because five-star reviews is how you're going to grow yours, uh, your audience so that people find the show so that more people can hear it. And it helps me because if you're a popular show and people are giving five-star reviews, somebody's going to listen to this, episode and then maybe i'll sell some books and i like that so it helps us all if they can give you a five-star review so as a thank you from me if they do that i would welcome them to come over to my website which is seantylerfoley.com and sean is spelled the proper irish way s-e-a-n-t-y-l-e-r-f-o-l-e-y.com and on there on the main page is an invitation to my endless stages facebook group and there I go live every Tuesday and uh, give a live 20-minute training presentation on whatever happens to be popular in the group that day. And additionally, if they come through the my website to get to that, instead of just searching for it on Mr. Zuckerberg's platform, if they come through my platform and sign up for the Endless Stages Facebook group, they will also get a free copy of my book, The Power to Speak Naked, in PDF format. So you don't have to go to the bookstore and buy it. I'm going to give it to you free. And then if you want to have a copy, we'll tell you how to get it later. But at least this way, you have a free copy. You can check it out, see if you like it. And I will give you access to my Drop the Mic speaker training series, which we give to all of our Endless Stages members. So you'll get the book, you'll get the video training, and you'll get access to my live training every Tuesday. And access to the membership at large with endless stages it's a really supportive community of, of like-minded people who are trying to get up on stage and, and learn to grow and so it's a really good growth-minded community of people who are learning to public speak all of that is available to people who come over to seantylerfully.com but <laughs> only if they give a five-star review no five-star review no book for you <laughs> excellent well that's very generous tyler and um it's Clearly a lot of value there. So we'll have the links in the show notes and we'll um, expect lots of five-star reviews out of this episode. Yes. Excellent. Now, other than the five-star review and then 
jumping into your community and downloading a PDF copy of the book, um, what action would you like the listener to take away from today's conversation? Uh, well, we already talked about the storytelling method. So really, honestly, go back and listen to that. Take those couple of minutes to just find what your story is and then play, have fun with it. Hmm. Really do a deep dive and ask yourself, why are these memories so important to me? Why are they significant? Why do they stand out? What can I learn from them? What did I learn from them? And what can an audience learn from them? And you'd be surprised at just how impactful those stories can be. You, I really honestly can't stress it enough. You have no idea who needs to hear your story until you tell it. You have yep. no idea the impact that it could have. And if it's only just one person, if you change one person's life, you changed a life. Hmm. So practice it, rehearse it, find what your stories are, get them out into the world because you don't know who needs to hear it. Hmm. Exactly. That's a very powerful message. And it reminds me, um, I gave a speech recently and one of the audience members came up to me afterwards and said, oh, I didn't realize other people dealt with that issue too. And, you know, that's like that, that's the kind of feedback that really warms my heart. And I think, well, you know, I just got up and told a couple of stories and it wasn't a big deal, but there it was connected with somebody. It's amazing the number of times I've heard that it wasn't a big deal. And yet somebody's <laughs> life was profoundly changed by your no big deal. Yeah, yeah. So it, it it's no big deal to you, but you don't know how mm. impactful it could be to somebody else until you say it. Mm. And so, yeah, get out, tell your story, get the message out. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights with us so generously today. I do need to ask you who else I should get on this show and why. Well, I have a feeling you've already interviewed him. Was your interview this morning with Robert Riappel? No, it wasn't. Okay, well then, because he, he's from Calgary and he would have been talking about the snow. I would get uh, Robert Riappel on is phenomenal. Michael Harris is another amazing guest. Um, Andrea Petro, uh, who is uh, just a, a fireball on the mic. She's just, and I she... She's hard to get to contain. Her energy is so, so big. But if you can get her to focus, she her stories are are phenomenal. And uh, I, I could give you a list uh, uh, probably a couple miles long, but those would be the top three that popped in my head right now. All right. Well, we'll get introductions to them and, and connect with them, and we might follow up on the rest of the list as well. So thanks so That's much, good. Tyler. This has been an absolute blast. I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the stories. I'm sure there's lots of takeaways. I would encourage everybody listening now to um, pause at the end of this conversation, go and grab a cup of coffee or tea or whatever whatever you feel like right now, then come back and listen again. Because I guarantee yeah. you that every time you listen to this, there'll be something else that pops up. And also do the exercise, um, because I know um, I've got stories that, that have come about without doing that exercise, but essentially they like if I back dated and did that exercise that that was kind of what happened because I just thought of a time and I thought and a story popped in or a, an experience popped into my mind and I wrote a story around it and explored well what's the lesson in that for me now today particularly going back to childhood um, which is a long time ago for me now but there are some stories there that if I reflect back on them now and There'll be things that come up. I wish I knew that then. 
And there's sort of the lessons that come up. So I really encourage everyone to go through that exercise that Tyler outlined today. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks a lot, Tyler. Really enjoyed it myself. And please do stay in touch. I really hope you enjoyed that insightful and really engaging, informative conversation with Tyler and most importantly took something away from his episode. So I invite you to take the exercise that Tyler explained to us. How to generate your stories. Break your life into time periods. About five to seven equal time periods. Write down the most significant memory from each of those time periods. Describe it in vivid detail. What you saw, what you heard, what you felt, what you smelled, what you tasted, all the senses. Bring it all together. And once you've done that, you've probably got five to seven memories that are top of mind for you. The next exploration then is why. Why those memories? Why are they significant to you? What do they mean? Can you see the positive and the negative in that? So write all those things down as you reflect on those. And then the next exploration is what lessons did I learn from that? What lessons did I need to learn from that? What did I already know going into that situation? What did I take away from it? And now, the most important part, what can my audience learn from that story? The whole point of stories, including the ones that Tyler told on our conversation today, is to educate the audience. So I invite you to go through that exercise, come up with some stories that you can use in your presentations, in your speeches. Tyler's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash Tyler Foley. That is T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Tyler Foley. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Tyler, as well as links to his website, his book, The Power to Speak Naked, his social media pages, and all the other resources we spoke about in our conversation. If you're enjoying this podcast, it's time to spread the love and inspire others to join in on the fun. Take the bold step and share this conversation with someone who could benefit from it. And hey, while you're at it, treat yourself to a bookmark token at innovabiz.co forward slash bookmarks. For the price of just a cup of coffee, you'll have a permanent reminder of this episode that you can revisit any time you need a dose of inspiration. Plus, you'll be supporting both the guest, Tyler, and the show. Remember, your actions have the power to inspire others. So let's spread the love one conversation at a time. Tyler suggested that we have a conversation with Robert Riapel, Michael Harris, and Andrea Petro on future InnovaBuzz podcast episodes. So Robert, Michael and Andrea, keep an eye on your inboxes for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Tyler Foley. 
Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode. It will help us to make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz and pick your preferred platform. Now remember to to go to innovabuzz.co forward slash flywheel to collect your unique digital token, which will give you membership of the Flywheel Nation community, where you'll have direct access to our amazing podcast guests, as well as to a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz podcasting process. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.